You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Welcome back to the Mile High Report Radio Podcast. One thing has been sticking with me, and I want to ask you the question, and I, I, I brought it up last week before the Chiefs, so I'm going to ask it now, especially now that the Broncos lost a game they should have won. Okay. Is this Sunday in New Jersey against the New York Jets, which is kind of an oxymoron, but... Is this a must-win game for the Denver Broncos? Uh, well, there's there's really two answers to that question, right? Every game is a must-win game. There's that that old cliche: every win, every game is a must-win game. But yeah, I I think if you are looking at this game from the perspective of uh, a franchise that is really supposed to compete right now and supposed to be successful, if you are if you're being honest, this this is a game that the Broncos have to win because the Jets are a team that isn't very good. They have um, you have a rookie quarterback. They've got they've got some talented players, but they're really not that good right now. They're probably on the rise, I guess, for as much as the Jets can be on the rise. But if you don't beat the Jets, I, I mean, just throw it all out. Hit the hit the pause button. Go ahead and eject the disc. Whatever. It's it's over because what you're proving is you cannot even game plan. Let alone the issues that they had against Kansas City. You can't even game plan to win a game against the Jets. You can't even get your team up for a game against the Jets, a, a, a team that you should beat ten out of ten times. So if they lose this game, season over. And so yeah, it's a must-win game. So when you look at the statistics in terms of the team stats this, at this point in the season, week five, that bears out with what you see from the Jets. Offensively, they're 29th in overall offense, tied for 25th in rushing, 27th in passing, and 21st in points. Defensively, they're a little better, 13th in overall defense, 16th in rushing, 14th in passing, and 13th in points. So when you look at this, two things stand out when you look at what the Broncos do on offense and defense, where they sit right now. Offensively, the Broncos are 13th in overall offense, third in rushing, 19th in passing, and 25th in points. Defensively, they're 17th in overall defense, 8th in rushing, 20th in passing, and 17th in points. So two things stand out, like I just mentioned. The Broncos are third in rushing offense. The Jets are 16th in rushing defense. And anyone who listened to our podcast on Sunday knows what's coming next. Run the damn football. I mean, it seems obvious, right? We, we talked about it ad nauseum after the game on Monday night, and it's been... Uh, prevalent throughout the conversations. And, and I think you and I really focused a lot on the coaching staff 
when it came to the discussion about why they weren't running the football. The only hope that you really have here is that the the coaching staff is able to recognize that there is something that this team does really well, and that is run the football. And I don't understand why you would go away from that. What, what we saw against the Chiefs was maybe that the def- that the offensive coaching staff got a little cute, right? You know that you're being successful running the football, and so you start to worry about, okay, well, they're going to key on the run, so let's go ahead and pass. But the Chiefs never actually proved that they could stop the run. It never happened. They didn't have to prove it because the Broncos just didn't run the football. If, if you want to see the Broncos be successful in this game, they have to force the Jets to prove that they can stop the run. I, I really think that's, that is maybe one of the most important things that they can do. You've got to force the Jets' defense to prove they can stop the run. Not, we're going to run it a few times and show that we can run, and then, oh, we can run, so now we're going to start passing. No, you run it until they prove to you that you can't. And once they've proved that, then you go to the pass. Now, I know that that seems simplistic, but to me, that is that it has to be the focus of the offense this week. Your stats bear it out. There is no reason for Case Keenum to try and put this game on his shoulders. And what really drives me nuts is the success rate of these two rookie running backs and how capable they are Yet the Broncos don't just feed them the football. I mean, Royce Freeman should just be eating all game. He got eight rushes against the Chiefs. Eight. And I will tell you that I bet if you ask the regular person who didn't pay attention to stats and just watched the game because they liked the game, and you told them that he only rushed the ball eight times, they would tell you that's insane. Look at how many yards he got. He must have run more than that. And he really didn't. When I looked at the stat... I was I sort of looked at it twice. I was like, oh, that says 18. That just says 18. He rushed the ball 18. No, eight. Only eight times. Insanity. And and I it, it better end with the Jets. So it, Joe with Mile High Report, he's a stats guy. So we dug deep into the play calls and the, and when they happened. And he found that the Broncos ran the ball 15 times on first down against the Chiefs for 114 yards, 7.6 yards per carry. Only three times were they stopped on first down for no gain. (laughs) Remember, they only ran the ball 22 times. 15 of them came on first down. That means they ran the ball seven other times, though Joe found that it was six. They ran it six other times for 31 yards, and 18 of it was on the carry by Emmanuel Sanders. That's a failure. I'm I'm sorry. I just have to say that. That is a failure of coaching right there. And, And it's something that we've talked about for the last year and a half, right? And so now we are in a new season We're four weeks in, right? We're a quarter of the way through the season. And what we're talking about, again, is the failures of the coaching staff. And if some moron who teaches social studies in Illinois can figure out that the Broncos should be running the football more often, 
Why are they paying Bill Musgrave whatever they're paying him or Vance Joseph whatever they're paying him to not figure that out? That's that's what really angers me about this team right now is that it isn't that hard. It's really simple. Your team is good at running the football. Not just good, really good, effective to the point of when you run the ball on first down, you're gaining enough yards that you're in second down. You can do whatever you want. I suppose that's the idea, right? You can run. You can pass. But then to completely go away from the run on every other down, it's mental. It's it's It doesn't make any sense. And you mentioned that Royce Freeman only had eight carries, which two days later still makes no damn sense to me. But it's also when he was on the field. You just gave up a time-eating drive for a touchdown by the Chiefs that cut your 10-point lead to three. You needed to eat time of possession. You needed to give your defense a breather. So what does Bill Musgrave do? Throws out Philip Lindsay. That's not an indictment on Philip Lindsay. That's an indictment on Bill Musgrave. Because Phil, Royce Freeman still hasn't been tackled by the Chiefs defense. <laughs> I, no. I, it, it makes no sense to me. So what they need what needs to happen going in to MetLife Stadium, you have the recipe to win on the road. And we talked about this going into the Baltimore game. Run the damn football. It's what this team does. It's what it's good at. So use it. We've talked about coaches making it more complicated than it is so many times. And that's what this coaching staff does. But that's what bad coaches do. They make it more complicated. They overthink it. You know who would be a really good coach for this team? And don't hate me when I say this. There's there's two guys. Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak. I wouldn't hate you for that. I thought you were gonna say John Fox and Jeff Fisher. No, you throw me out the throw me out the train, right? Throw mama from the train if I say that. But But, but I would actually prefer both of those guys over what we have right now. I think right now, absolutely. But but if you think about the success rate that Mike Shanahan had with an offense like this. I think that Mike Shanahan or Gary Kubiak could take this team and turn them into a successful football team. I I really, truly believe that because it isn't that hard. There is, like you've said, there is something about this running game. And and here's the other thing. We had a a Steve Atwater-Christian Okoye moment in that Chiefs game on Monday night. Royce Freeman hits the hole. And he slams into, and I can't remember the the defender's name who met him in the hole at the very beginning of the game, and just bounced off of him and kept going. It was a revert. Uh, it was a reverse of the Steve Atwater Christian Okoye hit, and he just kept going. And then on that touchdown run, every guy that tried to tackle him felt some pain. He was delivering blows left and right. He plopped it out there and expected it to perform, and it did perform. And it did perform. And you know what the Broncos coaching staff did? They went away from it. They went away from the most successful thing that they were doing all night, from the most successful player they had on the field. And the truth is, if you're really going to run to set up the pass, that's fine. But then you have to be able to pass. 
And you can't run once and think that you've set up the pass. That's not how that works. It's run and run and run and run and run. Now you're ready to pass. And I hate to sound like Dan Reeves on that because that's kind of how that sounds, right? That's Dan Reeves football. But I would take Dan Reeves football right I now. I would take Dan Reeves football right now because this team can run the football. It's and simple. You, and that's what you need to do to win on the road. And that's been the Broncos kryptonite the last two years. And that's why this is a must-win game because this is a team the Broncos should beat, as you said, 10 out of 10 times. But if Denver loses this game, if Denver loses to the Jets, because there's a caveat that even if the Broncos win, they're not guaranteed squat. But a win here is a hell of a lot better given the alternative. And the alternative is the Broncos are staring down a four-game losing streak and in the best-case scenario, will win one of six games because in the next three games after the Jets, they host the Rams, go on the road to the Cardinals, travel to the Kansas City Chiefs. And not, I mean, there's an ominous feeling about this game and at this point in the season. And to say that a that this is a must-win game in week five is ominous, but not to compound that ominous sentiment. But Denver's lack of success on the road doesn't help. In the last six games played in the East Coast, the Broncos are one in five. Overall, in the last nine road games, they're one in eight and four in 13 in the last 17. So for the Broncos to overcome the last two games and what happened on Monday Night Football, they're going to have to to get it right on the road. And the way to do that is to run the football. You got to run the football. All right. I guess those are our keys to the game. <laughs> I did have another one, and I'm just going to mention it because – uh, I think it's something that we have to talk about because we're going to talk about this player anyway. Von Miller's got to become a game wrecker again. And I, that was my key to the game. Like, you know, when we put together our articles and we talk about, you know, what are the keys to the game this week? I talked about Von Miller and then Von Miller popped up on the injury report. That's that's the first injury report of the week. That is the first is a Wednesday. Right. And so there's some time there and maybe they're just being cautious, but if Von Miller is injured and he's not able to have the impact, and you talked about it after the game on Monday against the Chiefs, where was Von Miller? Well, if Von Miller's injured, if there's something going on with Von Miller, that's going to have a big impact on this defense, and other players are going to have to step up. But if he's healthy, and if he's out on the field, you're if, if you're on the field, you're healthy. No excuses. So if he's out on the field and he's healthy, Von Miller has to become a game wrecker again. And this is a great opportunity for him. Young quarterback, not a great offense, opportunity to say welcome to the NFL rookie, put a guy on his back. He wasn't able to do it against Patrick Mahomes, wasn't able to do it against Joe Flacco either, which is concerning. But if he can do it against Sam Darnold and the the New York Jets defense, or offense, excuse me, that would be huge. And and so he's got to be able to take over the game. He's got to harass the passer. Uh, some turnovers would be nice and a good way to get turnovers is to have the quarterback scrambling running for his life 
constantly getting hit. Strip sacks are always fun. It's got to happen, and it all starts with Von Miller. You mentioned the turnovers. Coming into the Chiefs game, they had created three turnovers. Not enough. They didn't create one against the Chiefs, Not so they're one. still sitting at three turnovers. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. When you think about this Broncos team, I think we feel like they have had a lot of turnovers over the last however many years. But I don't – even in 2015 when they won the Super Bowl, they didn't have – they actually had a, a negative turnover ratio. But it, but their turnovers that they did get were timely, right? They they happened at the right time. And or so, they became touchdowns. Or, or they became touchdowns, exactly. They turned them into scores. That is something that we haven't seen over the last few years, really. And and maybe this team really doesn't generate turnovers the way that uh, the perception is. The, there's a perception that they get a lot of turnovers, but I don't think that they actually do. And the turnovers that they do get don't always get turned into scores. That's something that is maybe, I don't know, is it a misconception about this team? Is it something that we just sort of assume they're going to do, but they don't. I don't know how, I don't know where to go with that. And I'm not sure where it comes from because they don't create turnovers. They haven't created turnovers at least since the Super Bowl year. And I think that's where it started. I think it started with Aqib Tlaib because he, he gets all, whenever, whenever he got an interception, it always seemed like it was a pick six. Well, he, he had a nose for the goal line, right? He, he, anytime he intercepted a football, he was looking to score. He wasn't looking to set the offense up in a good position. He wasn't just happy with an interception. He was looking for the goal line. He wanted to get his own touchdown, which I absolutely loved about him. But I think that's where that perception comes from because it does not create turnovers. But you mentioned that Von Miller was on the injury report. He was just limited. So over the next two days, we'll see if it – increases to full or not, or if he stays at limited. The other player who showed up on the injury report this to, on Wednesday for the first time was Marquette King. And he's apparently, according to Mike Kliss, is having an MRI on his groin. And if he has a groin issue, that would explain why he hasn't been punting as well as all of Broncos country knows he can and expects him to. Yeah. And that's another one where uh, he's been called out by several people, including us for just not kicking the ball. Well, which I know sounds stupid, but you got paid to come into mile high stadium, which is a punter's heaven, right? Put your foot through the ball and, and blast it. And he has not been effective this year. And it felt like, and and maybe I misjudged it, because after the Chiefs game, I definitely I definitely made mention of this. It felt like maybe he was a little too distracted. It felt like he was more focused on showing the people who got rid of him in Oakland how great he was and not focused enough on just being a good punter. But if it's an injury issue, if he's if he's injured to the point where he can't be an effective punter, you've spent a lot of money on this guy, and he needs to be healthy. I, I mean, you know, <laughs> he needs to be healthy. He's got to be able to kick the ball. 
If you can't kick the ball, get him off the field. Let somebody else do it who can be effective, who can be somewhat effective. The best punter in the game against the Chiefs was a Cole quit. <laughs> and he played for the Chiefs. And that raises a point that we talked about before we started recording. Why wouldn't you let it be known that your punter is hurt? That's kind of a big deal, isn't it? I would think that it should go on the injury report. Right? I mean, isn't that the point of the injury report is that you report injuries? I, and a, and a, groin, a groin injury doesn't just magically appear. No, that's something that as, as someone who, you know, had a bit of a strained groin a couple weeks ago from, from overexertion. I know that sounded weird. Hang on. Um, hey, yo. Those things, those things don't just pop up and then they don't just go away. It takes a while. It takes, you know, it takes some stretching out. It takes some, some loosening up. It's, it's not something that just disappears. So going to have an MRI on your groin, that means you're looking for something bigger than just, yeah, I'm a little sore right now. That's, that's worse than, than just a little soreness. You can get through a little soreness going and having an MRI that, that makes me a little nervous. Like there's something worse going on that it's not just a strain, but it's possible tear and that's hard to recover from. And if you're a punter, I don't know if you know this about kicking, but you really use your legs a lot. It's like a pitcher having shoulder issues. Sure. Or a quarterback having shoulder issues or a receiver having hand issues. Is that... Is that Demarius Thomas's issue? Oh, unnecessary. That's unnecessary. That's unnecessary. Unnecessary. I apologize. I really I like Demarius Thomas. Yeah, that's it's not fair. It was an easy joke. It was an easy joke to be made, and I apologize for it. <laughs> so before we get into our players to watch, there's one thing, and those who follow me on Twitter know that I do a weekly thread on that opponent. Yep. One thing that the, the the weekly release from the Broncos does is it gives you what to watch for for the Jets. So I'm going to lay that out here now for the fans and listeners so they know what to watch for versus the Jets. Cornerback and punt returner Adam Jones needs 66 punt return yards to become the 39th player in NFL history with 2,000 punt return yards. Oh, Interesting. Quarterback Case Keenum needs 241 passing yards to reach 10,000 for his NFL career. Okay. He also needs one passing touchdown to reach 50 for his career, though he would have already gotten that had he been able to complete that pass to Demarius Thomas. So he should be done, but he's not, and it's his fault. Brandon McManus needs one field goal to reach 100 for his career and pass David Treadwell into sole possession of fifth place in the franchise's all-time list. Love it. David Treadwell, great name from the past. Von Miller needs 1.5 sacks to tie Ken Harvey, who has 89, for 47th on the NFL's all-time sack list. Let's just go As for two, player. and he can yeah, he gets two and his takes over. I'm fine with that. Emmanuel Sanders needs 12 catches to, re to reach 500 for his career. That'd be a heck of a game. And he needs one catch to pass Brandon Marshall, the receiver, for sole possession of ninth place on the franchise's all-time reception list. Where does uh, Brandon Marshall, the lineback linebacker, rank on that? I'm guessing not very high. Not very high. All right, just checking. Those and then are some, Those are great. 
here here's some interesting statistics from this series with the Broncos. This will be the 36th regular season meeting between the Broncos and the Jets. The Broncos have a 19-15 and 1 record, 11 and 8 at home, 8-7 and 1 on the road. The first game was played on September 23rd, 1960 in New York. The Jets won 28-24. The last game was last December where the Broncos shut out the Jets 23-0. And then let's see, the most interesting aspect of this the most Denver points was 46 which happened on September 19th, 1976, when the Broncos won 46-3. to That's a lot the of most, points. The most points for the Jets was done on November 22nd, 1962, when the Jets won at then Bears Stadium, 46-45. Old Bears Stadium. That's a, that's a Denver throwback for, for those of you from the Denver area for a long time. You like might the old remember man. Like the old man who grew up in the shadow of Bears Stadium. <laughs> I don't know if it was so a that shadow. Takes of, that takes care of some of the the interesting tidbits and what to watch for from the series. But who who is your player to watch? Uh, I'm going to start on defense. And I'm going to say Von Miller. I know it's a cop-out. It's an easy one. But I talked about him before. I'm going to talk about him again. He's got to be the game wrecker that everybody wants him to be. You did make a good point. You pay the man quarterback money, and you expect him to be good enough to just take over a game like a quarterback. Uh, So if he's healthy, and if you're on the field, you're healthy, and so there are no excuses. If he's healthy, can he be the game wrecker that he's being paid to be? Uh, Because right now he's losing the defensive player of the year battle to Khalil Mack. And in years past, I might have been – more upset about it because Khalil Mack played for the Raiders, but now that he's in Chicago, it still bothers me because it's funny, but it still bothers me because I think that he's better than Khalil Mack and I'd like for him to prove it. So that's my off. That's my defensive player to watch. How about offensively? Uh, I'm going to go with Emmanuel Sanders, which as we talk over and over and over again about how much the Broncos need to run, What I'm hoping to see from Emmanuel Sanders is when the Broncos pass, which should only be about 20 times this game, that would be my guess. I would like to see him get anywhere from 8 to 10 targets, and I I think that he could be just very effective from the slot and have an opportunity to make some big plays that keeps the offense moving, maybe get a score or two. Uh, I I really think that if the Broncos run the football well, which they should, He's set up to have a really good game. Uh, as, as a fantasy football player, I would prefer if it was Demarius Thomas, but I just don't think he's got the same connection with Case Keenum. I think Keenum likes throwing the football to Emmanuel Sanders. And so running the football effectively sets that up for him. And and maybe he gets another rush for another 18 yards. That might be cool. But I think it would be uh, important for him to have an impact on this game for them to be successful as long as it is coming through the running game where they are using the run to set everything up. If if they're just running a couple of times and everything else is going through the pass, the Broncos won't be successful and neither will Emmanuel Sanders. That's an interesting segue because that ties into my players to watch. And it's not the players, it's the coaches. Oh, because like as the players showed in the fourth quarter, 
doesn't matter what you do if your coaches don't put you in a situation to have success. And I get it. People are going to bring up that Case Keenum overthrow to Demarius Thomas. They shouldn't have been in that situation. They shouldn't have been in that situation. They were up by 10 points to enter the fourth quarter. Their defense just gave up a key drive that cut the lead to three points. And what does Bill Musgrave do? Completely cowers, overthinks the moment, and goes into the shadows. Vance Joseph does the same thing. Joe Woods does the same thing. Second and 30. Second and 30. Plays man coverage. It doesn't matter what the players do. The coaches have to have to put them in a situation to have success, realize what they do, and allow them to do it. We said it before the Baltimore game. We said it before the Raiders game. Play press coverage. Stop playing off on the receivers and allow your pass rush to get to the quarterback. That's the strength of the defense is your pass rush. So let your pass rush get to the quarterback. And then can I add, once you've done that on second and 30, that's when you play off, right? It's the situational football. I think that's what what you're getting at here. It's understanding the situation of the game, and, and you're absolutely right. So until the coaches show that the moment isn't too big for them, that they aren't rank with incompetence, to me, that's the key to the game. Those are the those are the people to watch. And we talked about it on on Monday after the game. It seems like the only coordinator coordinator, not assistant coach, so not like the two assistant offensive line coaches or receivers or running backs, right. whatever. None, none of the coordinators, lower tier guys. The only one who is doing his job and doing it incredibly well is Tom McMahon with the special teams. Whatever he's doing, Bill Musgrave and Joe Woods need to do. Whatever he's drinking or eating or whatever, they need to do what he's doing. I mean, the the, the issue that I have with everything still is how simple this is. That's really what drives me nuts about it is just how simple the fix is. It's not like you have to come up with a, a, a difficult scheme. There's no changing of the defense. There's no changing of the offense other than the correct play calls. And and the correct play calls are really very simple. And it's just your basic knowledge of the football game. And, and here's the thing that really angers me about it is if you notice it and I notice it, and most of the fans notice it, and I say most of them because there are fans out there that that don't, then then how difficult can it really be for the coaching staff to notice it. And and furthermore, the, the fans that are out there that are giving them the excuse of, well, they, they had them in a position to win because for three and a half quarters of football, they were in the lead. And they were playing to beat the best team in the NFL, best offense in the NFL, one of the top teams. None of that matters. None of that matters. I don't care what the score is three and a half quarters into the game if you are losing that game at the end and it's funny because I, I was sort of tweeting back and forth with some people and the the gift that I decided to, to throw out there was from um was from Fast and the Furious when Paul Walker's character says dude I almost had you is that what the Denver Broncos are now dude I almost had you that's it 
We, I was close. We had you for three and a half quarters. I can't believe you came back. We were close. Silver lining. Get out of here with that. What bothers me about that is the game is 60 minutes. If players are supposed to play for 60 minutes, coaches need to coach for 60 minutes too. Imagine that. That's a, that seems like a simple fix as well. It just it bothers me how easy it looks like it should be to fix it, and they cannot figure it out. That's what drives me nuts. And that's why I brought up Shanahan and Kubiak as potential coaches that could really be successful with this team because they are coaches that would not get away from the run there. They would recognize that running is the success. Now they'd probably try and go to zone blocking or whatever, and that might screw it up. But it's really easy. It's really easy. You know who else would have success coaching this football team right now? Is it Kyle Shanahan? I was thinking that, but this is more relevant to what's going on right now in the Mile High City. Oh, okay. Bud Black. Yeah. Yeah, the Rockies are uh, impressive. We don't want to talk too much about the Rockies because we get nervous about that. But uh, Bud Black has done a really good job with that team. What stood out to me in that wild card game against the Cubs at Wrigley Field, and it was the third time zone in three days the Rockies had to play in. But what stood out to me about that game is when when the cameras panned to him in the first base dugout. He never looked rattled. He never had that deer in the headlights look. Bud Black was calm. He was composed. There's no doubt a couple of times they panned to him and he took a deep breath. (laughs) But he is human. But he was composed. And the team feeds off of that. Sure. And when they gave up that that big double that had the the tying run in the bottom of the eighth, they didn't get rattled. They didn't lose confidence. They didn't lose composure. That doesn't mean anytime the Rockies got out of the top half of their inning going into the top of the 13th, fans didn't feel like they were going to, they needed a, a, a bin. A little something to vomit in. <laughs> but they never lost their composure. They never lost their confidence. And what ties into all of this on a Broncos podcast is you never get that sense with Vance Joseph and this coaching staff. Because as I mentioned on Monday night, it always feels like it's a matter of when, not if, the team loses it. Yeah, and it and it is uh, it is something that stems from the coaching staff. It's kind of one of those things. There's a, I think there's a debate. Um, that revolves around professional sports, especially about how important are coaches. And in baseball, I would argue that the manager in baseball might be the least important coach when it comes to just game plan. As far as baseball, as you, you you to to go to my famous Bull Durham speech, you throw the ball, you catch the ball, you hit the ball. It's a simple game. But you still feed off of the manager's attitude. You still feed off of the um, the calmness of the manager in situations like last night for the Rockies in that they really looked like they were going to lose it. I mean, watching that eighth inning, the, the Cubs were pumped up. 
The fans were pumped up. The Rockies looked like they were on the ropes, and they kept their composure, and that all comes from a manager who knows what he wants to do and then has a team that is willing to follow him and goes out and executes. And Odovino looked a little scary last night. Remember this? His first pitch went about 300 miles in the opposite direction from where it needed to go. It was it was the Rick Vaughn impression with a slider. It was a little Ricky Vaughn there. And then the the catcher, and I can't think of his name, is it Butera? Is that who they brought in? Yes. I've never seen, I told, we were sending messages back and forth. I'd never seen a catcher come in and be that ineffective for a little while. Like it seemed like he the moment was too big for him. But Bud Black was consistent. He was uh, he was professional. He was confident, and the team fed off that. And they were able to play a, a pretty long game after having traveled all around. And they found success, and they won a game that really, to be honest, they shouldn't have won. There is no way that Rockies team should have played in three different time zones in three different days and won that third game. They should not have won that game. Just because of how difficult all that travel is. But they were able to make it happen. And and you're right. It would be really nice if maybe Bud Black could coach the the Broncos. We, we talked before we recorded about how he could make that happen. He could coach remotely, right? Put, give him the headset. Would that work? Yeah. Just wire him up in, in the clubhouse at Coors and – he can be in the headset with Vance Joseph and he can watch it on his on his iPad or something sure. or his, whatever it is that he's watching it on. And then he can be like, no, no, no. Run the ball. <laughs> Run the ball. Don't. It, it, I mean, it would just Run be Bud Black saying, no, don't do it. Don't, don't do, do that. It. Don't do that. You know what I what I nope. picture is you remember the movie Old School with uh, um one of the Wilson brothers, Paul Wilson or Phil Wilson or whatever his name is, and uh, uh, Vince Vaughn and, and Will Ferrell, and they're, they're at the college and they have to prove that they're college students and they got to take the test or whatever. And Vince Vaughn's got the earpiece in, and there's the guys that are in a van telling them the answers to the test. That's what I think of when I think of that. Vance Joseph just needs the little earpiece and he just needs to listen to whoever's in the van, and it could be Bud Black just telling him uh, the answer to this is run the football. Yeah, that's the only answer. The answer on second and thirty is don't play man coverage. There, I fixed. I fixed it. I'm amazing. Or he could have that little shock thing that Cartman had whenever Cartman <laughs> wanted to cuss. So whenever he wants to do something, someone can just hit the buzzer. Yeah, just buzz him. Ah, got him. I'd take that. I would. I would definitely take that. Oh, fantastic stuff. Um. AFC West schedule. What, what's going on in the NFL that that we we want to pay attention to this week? Game of the week is definitely the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep that that has the potential to be a deep uh, an AFC Championship game. But then you remember it's the Chiefs and they don't ever make it that far. Yeah, they won't ever get a shot at the Lamar Hunt Trophy. Although maybe we should stop talking about that because some people seem to think it's our fault that Patrick Mahomes is good. Like because we said he, we we didn't know that he was going to be good, it's our fault that he is. I'm not sure how that works. I'll take um, credit for it. Sure, yeah, we made him great. That's he. You know what? He should mention us in his Hall of Fame speech if he ever makes it. You want he needs to do before he does anything? Win a playoff game. Yeah, I'd like to see that first. Let's, let's actually get to football that matters. I, regular season matters. I get it, but you know what I mean. Um, 
But yeah, that, that'll be a hell of a matchup. That will be an interesting game to watch just because of how good that defense is and how good that offense is. And to be honest, the Jaguars have a blueprint for how to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Broncos just gave it to Broncos them. Broncos gave it to them. You do this against the Chiefs and you'll be successful. Oh, and also run the football. It could be Leonard Fournette. It could be TJ Yeldon. It, it could, could be, be Maurice Jones-Drew. It could be, what's his name, Jimmy Smith? Is that the is that the name of the guy that I'm thinking of? The old receiver? Is, yeah. What was the other running back? There's another running back I'm trying to think of. Somebody else. Mark Brunel. Uh, Mark Brunel could do it. Sure, he was a quarterback, a little different. Uh, Bob, uh, Tony Baselli could come out of retirement and play running back and probably do just fine. I think that I think where the Jaguars might have an advantage over the Broncos is the interior on the defensive line with Malik Jackson and some of the other guys they have on the interior. Yep. They'll be able to get a push, which will allow Calais, Calais Campbell and some of those other edge rushers to get after Mahomes because if he gets an interior pass rush on top of an exterior pass rush. Well, and I think – yeah, I think that's the the key to beating Mahomes is is not necessarily to flush him out of the pocket. I think that's what the Broncos did wrong, right? They flushed him out of the pocket all the time. He they couldn't keep contain on him. So if you make him uncomfortable in the pocket but keep him contained, which is exactly what you're talking about, I think that's where he he struggles. He doesn't want to be in the pocket. He loves schoolyard football. That's his seems to be what he's good at. And I think the Jaguars can be successful at that. And Hey, you know, they, they might even put up some points. You know, Bortles is going to Bortle, but he's probably still going to put up some points. He could be the guy who rushes. They'll just run Wildcat all day. And the other thing the Jaguars have that the Broncos don't, a secondary. Yeah. Oh, remember when? I just had a little remember when moment. I went back in time in my brain to when the Broncos were good in the secondary, uh, and it wasn't just Chris Harris Jr. back there. A little disappointed in Justin Simmons this so far this year. I haven't seen him impact in anything in the game. Hoping that will turn around, but yeah, that that hurt a little bit. Um, could, could we stop talking about it? I might start crying. <laughs> and then the other AFC West game is the Raiders and Chargers. So who cares? Yeah, it's a, the old Jay Cutler. Don't care. I mean, seriously, Chargers gonna Charger. Raiders going to Raider. Nobody cares. It's a football game that doesn't matter. Chargers season was before the NFL season started. Chargers season is over. Who wins that game? I mean, seriously. I'm asking seriously. I know there's a joke there, but who actually wins that game, you think? I'll go with the Chargers. Chargers at home? I I would have to agree with that. Oh, they're at home, but there will be Raiders fans. There will be more Raiders fans there. There will probably be more Bronco fans there at that game than there are Charger fans there, and it's not even a Bronco game. So, yeah, that that wouldn't be a surprise. Uh, outside of the AFC West, there's there's some interesting matchups. Uh, the Colts and the Patriots, Adam Vinatieri kicking against his former team. I suppose that's interesting. I don't. I think they're gonna. I think it'll be a blowout. <laughs> I w- I mean. Kind of interesting, I guess. I was trying to find something interesting about the Thursday night game. Uh, didn't happen. Sorry. Sorry, y'all. Wasn't able to make it work. The only other game that I'm interested in this week is the Vikings and the Eagles because that'll be a rematch of the NFC Championship game. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Vikings can um, – have some success against the Eagles. The Vikings have sort of been up and down. They've they've 
That team to me is is confusing. You never know what you're going to get from them. The game that's interesting to me, and this is from the fantasy perspective, if you uh, need players, just go get somebody from the Falcons or the Steelers because you you'll probably have offensive linemen that are putting up points in that game. So without a doubt, you know, like I have Roethlisberger in a league starting him. I got Vance McDonald in a league starting him. I don't need, I don't have any Falcons players, but I'm gonna go find some. I'm gonna like I'm gonna go pick up like uh, their ninth string wide receiver starting him. There's gonna be a million points scored fantasy wise in that one, so that one would be fun to watch from a fantasy perspective. You know who won't get any points? Julio Jones. Yeah, Julio. Well, no, he'll get all kinds of yards. That's not that's not fair. He won't score any touchdowns. He scores no touchdowns. He doesn't like the end zone. He thinks that it's it, there's something in there. It's like the end zone is lava to him. He's the type of player, end zone is lava, he jumps out of bounds. Well, as a fantasy owner who has Julio Jones. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. I feel bad for you. Um, I, I don't know where I was going. I got nothing else. I'm looking at the schedule. I'm trying to find something else to watch. There's really nothing there. Maybe the Browns and the Ravens just because – uh, as somebody who pushed for Baker Mayfield, I'm a glutton for punishment, and I'm, I kind of end up wanting to watch him and see what he does. So that might I be fun to be watch. This will be a rough week for him, I think. Yeah, I think he's going to struggle. I think he's going to struggle. But his rough weeks are going to be few and far between as as, uh, as the years go on, if he can get away from Cleveland, that is. And then the other thing I'm watching on Sunday, Rockies game three. Baseball. Should I mean, be Kyle Freeland. Who is a pretty good pitcher from what I saw against the Cubs. I don't want to talk too much about it. I really don't I don't want to jinx them. I don't want to talk about any of the teams that I like in baseball because we are we are the jinx. Just saying it's still possible for me to see the dream world series of the Rockies and the Yankees. Yeah. We gotta get through tonight. But yeah, absolutely. That is for for you and I, that is that is it. Because as as uh, kids growing up, we were always Yankee fans, and so uh, that would be the one that I would love to love to see. And uh, someday, right? Someday, and maybe maybe someday in like a couple of weeks, if uh, if everything works out correctly. So. As you mentioned, if if the Yankees are able to get past the Athletics in the wild card game, they move on to Boston. That'll be a heck of a series. This would be this would be the perfect year to beat Boston too. As good as Boston has been for them to go and 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 eliminate Boston from the play. Oh, that would just be, it's, it's just, it just makes me so excited even thinking about it, which I don't want to think about it. I don't even want to, I don't even want to think about it right now. I just, you're making me nervous. You're making me nervous. All right. Uh, anything else we got to touch on before we, before we move on here? I think we need to say it again. Run the damn football. Run the football. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, Seems smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, 
maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.